Hi, this is Alex Hyde-White, and you're listening to the FSF Popcast. The show that made Reed Richards stretch out his arm from the other room to change the channel and efforts to preserve his IQ. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman Number 4. He'll know that when he puts on the Red Shirt and joins the Fantastic Four in their battle against Doctor Doom, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his super suit. All right, kids and cadets, I'm kind of excited. We have a, a guest waiting here for us that has starred in some really popular movies, some of the most popular movies, actually, in cinematic history, and some of the biggest cult classics you've ever seen. He was young Henry Jones in Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, which is one of my all-time personal favorite movies. He's been Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic, in the Fantastic Four movie in the, in the early to mid-90s. And you've seen him in shows like Pretty Woman, Catch Me If You Can, with starred Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio, and a few other things that uh, are really exciting to talk about. But with a resume like this, we are very excited to welcome Alex Hyde-White, to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, Alex. Hey guys, thanks. Thanks. How you doing? We're doing very well. Better now that you're here and we get a chance to talk with you. So how about them lions, huh? They yeah, they're in. You know, it's it's exciting because uh, we haven't had a winning football team in Michigan, and I don't know how long. And <laughs> and even though, <laughs> excuse me, even though we're only one game above 500, we'll take it because there was some serious improvement this year. So yay. I Three wins in a row. That was like, yeah, good. euphoric. It was euphoric. That's what it was. <laughs> Go play the lottery. <laughs> I almost did. It was it was strongly considered. Well done. Uh, so, Alex, um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is a movie that's played regularly at our house. Uh, it's a favorite of my wife and I's, and uh, and Nick already knows this. I love Harrison Ford. I think he's the the greatest actor to ever walk the face of the earth, yeah. and so much so that my son's middle name is Harrison. Um, yeah. And so was, I've always thought it was kind of cool in The Last Crusade that there was the flashback to young Henry and and seeing how he became who he became and, yeah. and all these different things. And so and now it's kind of cool for me because that was you. And, um, you know, I think this might actually get my wife to watch the interview. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Uh, but if you could, if you if you can. Talk to us about how that role in Indiana Jones came to be and what has your involvement in what I like to call the Indieverse, uh, what has your involvement in the Indi Indiana Jones series, the Indieverse, meant to you over the years? Well, you know, at the time, you know, uh, there was there's sort of always a debate going on when you're an actor sort of getting started and starting to get work that if you take sort of small parts cameos that gives the agents you know a bit of a heartache um and so um yeah, with the except you know there's got to be a really good reason um and it was interesting really because a friend of mine an agent who didn't really represent me recommended me to the casting director famous casting director named mike fenton that they were just looking for someone to play young sean connery and so I went in, you know, I've, I've just an open book when I was certainly when I was a young actor, I was just wanting to get traction. And, you know, the idea of working in an Indiana Jones movie, it doesn't matter, you know, um, 
I'm there. And we sure. do the audition and it's, you know, junior, count to 20 in Greek. And, you know, Mike says, hey, great. That's good, Alex. Thanks a lot. And <laughs> off you go. And then about four days later, I guess, they send the tape to wherever they are. And, you know, it's an Indiana Jones movie and it's getting closer to L.A., which means it's getting it's almost done because they're starting like in Afghanistan or somewhere. You know, they travel the world when they made those movies. Mm-hmm. So they, they said they, that uh, Mike wants to see you. Stephen needs to, to see you again. Mike, Mike wants you to come back in. And so I go, oh, okay, great. So I go over to Universal, and then they, they have a chair facing the other way. And they said, Alex, Stephen really likes you for this. He just needs to see the cut of your jib, which means turn around. And I did the rest <laughs> of the – I did the same thing, only – I don't know, I'm going to – bring everything with me i did the same thing only now junior count to 20 you know it was that in greek he who illuminates this illuminate me you know that kind of thing so it's kind of gone down in my history as you know i'm not even in the movie and i had and i had to audition with my back to the camera so that story alone just is a complete illustration of how crazy this business is. And then you throw in that it's actually a Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones movie. And in some sort of way, it makes sense because, you know, they are so good at making those movies. I mean, they're still making them and the rest of the business is sort of caught up uh, that they do, you don't really need to audition. They just need to know that, you know, you, you can stand up, you can sit down. In my instance, you can turn around and you have the sort of the cadence to do it. And once you're in, it's kind of like qualifying for the pro golf tour or something. Once you're in, you're part of that magic. You're part of that, that universe, that, what do you call it? The, uh, the, what did you call it? The, the Raiders verse or something? The indie verse. Yeah. And, you know, I'm there for a few days, a couple of days since uh, George Lucas is there, the best cameraman in the business, everybody. I knew the second assistant director, a famous fellow named Artist Robinson, because I'd worked on a TV show for the Navy called Super Carry the year before. So, you know, I'm amongst friends and River Phoenix was lovely. He wasn't even 18 years old yet. And he had a friend up and he was thirsty for some beer one night. And so we went out and got some Mexican food. And, uh, you know, I... I it was three days of my life, but it just was, it's kind of like an invitation to the kind of movie business that we all want to be in, particularly me. You know, Stephen makes, you know, films, he certainly made sort of boys films in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, just like, just like um, the old uh, Hardy Boys captured a certain generation or certain Western serials captured Stephen's movies sort of reflected, and maybe it's come out now in the, Fablemans is that his the, the the his family movie now about his upbringing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, so. I think yeah. it's come out that his sensibilities were very much you know like that. Peter Pan. So it was really funny, um, you know, because I got up there and I I'm sitting with him and we're talking about Close Encounters and you know these are the days when it's called analog filmmaking, which won't mean anything to FSF unless some of them are really s um uh, and understand that this was one shot at a time filmmaking 
and everything needed to be coordinated and put in place before you rolled the cameras. You didn't turn on simply turn on a video camera and even Avatar. I mean, it's just 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 shoot it. No wonder it took him 10 years. It probably took him eight and a half years to cut it. Have you seen the thing? It's wonderful. <laughs> but, you know, so, you know, we're waiting. We're waiting because we'd done Rivers part earlier in the day where you know that lovely tracking shot, which ends on the mm -hmm. name on the mailbox. And then River comes in huffing and puffing. We do his angle and we turn around, but we had to move like, I don't know, a half mile down the road because they built this pop out sort of window. And we go into rehearse and they say, oh, Stephen and I are out there, two direct, two guys in a director's chair talking. And they say, OK, we're ready, governor, because they're all English. He loved the English crews. Oh, I got we're ready. And we come on in and he's we rehearsing and he goes, OK, guys, we've got about four minutes. Otherwise, we're back here same time tomorrow. And then you realize, of course, what you're doing. You are, you are certainly, well, you're sharing the shot with the greatest source of light known to man because the setting sun is 93 million miles away, just about to hit its horizon on the Colorado Plain, which is a John Ford shot. It's a Steven Spielberg yeah. shot. And, yeah. you know, right away, it does two things to everybody. It sharpens the focus, but also takes the attention away from us. If we can participate in a moment correctly, we will capture nature, which is what, you know, great filmmakers do. Uh, and then, of course, it's how do you do it? And then it's the same thing that I did. And because Mike Fenton had turned me around in the second audition, I was prepared. It wasn't so much that Stephen needed to see that I could say it twice, once backwards. <laughs> it's just that we might really not have the time to rehearse it like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Let's get right. in there. I'm coming in. I'm thinking, I'm a character eyes. I've got my eyes and everything. I've got some special <laughs> makeup. Actually, kid, we're turning you around. You know what I mean? And up came my hand. Count Junior. And Stephen goes, okay, guys, Alex, do that again. Boom. And so all of a sudden, my finger and the sun are in the shot. I think, hey, this is getting pretty good. You know? <laughs> and, you know... We got it. David, um, David um, uh, Tomlin, a famous AD, was very happy, saw me in the bar. Yeah, you want to meet an English, um, anybody who works in the English film industry, be in any hotel bar at about 7.30 at night. Uh, and they're there. Uh, lovely. Love, good, good job. Good job, Alex. And I was done. I mean, that was my day. I went out. I think I went on a horse ride or something. And the job has just lived on forever because they were so nice to me. They gave me like six billing in the movie and there's a cast of like 200 people. Yeah. And it was just really lovely. And so people thought, were you Fedora? No, that was Richard Young. Or what were you? Or so I was, you were, oh, but yo, really? Was that your finger? I go, yeah, that was me. <laughs> and you know what? That's good enough. It's, it's in the indie verse. So yeah. I learned early on and it kind of really lay the foundation for what I thought my story needed to be when I wrote my book recently. It's the experiences. It's a peak. It's a, when you're a mountain climber, you want to relay. Everybody wants to know if anybody's interested. They want to know about the peaks. They want to know about the K2, the Kilimanjaro, the Indiana Jones, the pretty woman, the catch me if you cans. And in, in order to get to those peaks, you know, there's lots of slips and falls, lots of near misses, lots of, ah, the trip was canceled, lots of, ah, weather canceled it, or, you know, I just didn't have it that day. 
So the ability to relay those 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 peak moments, especially in such a film that uh, has its fans, you know, if you do a good job in something, it doesn't matter what you do. It's then it becomes the property of the audience. It becomes a property of the fans, of which yeah. in this instance are, you know, innumerable. And so it earned me my props with Stephen and he had me back for two other jobs. Not that he came seeking me. It just sort of stars aligned again and when my name's on a list he's and if i'm right for the part he says yes and he looks forward to seeing me so i hope that that continues but it's certainly um it taught me early on the value of what in what ostensibly could just be a small part you know that's a fantastic answer that's that's really cool i'm glad you're not on film otherwise you'd have to change reels right now (laughs) (laughs) the joy of digital so speaking of the science in the science part of FSF, um, another fun movie that you were in was the Fantastic Four as Dr. Reed Richards the, in 1994. So special effects back then usually came in the form of practical effects rather than computer-generated effects, yeah. which is almost but not quite lost of an art. And so today people would called practical effects cheesy but you know for its time practical effects were you know amazing yeah so yeah i'm curious on a couple things did you get to control like the special effects of like the arm stretching or and like i can think of a few ways of how they would do that but like how how did they do like the arm stretch and well for me that was Working backwards, and bearing in mind this is a Roger Corman film, so working backwards would be, and then you CGI the arm going 15 feet, okay? Oh, well, we'll see. We'll have to wait to get to that one. So really all you're concerned about with is getting that arm, like, in position and then moving as much as, like you say, the, 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 uh, the contraption with its weight and uh, with its throw. And I seem to remember that it was a bit of a hydraulic that it was um it was on my shoulder sort of like a backpack mm-hmm. and so you know the, sh- the of course you know the the actor on action you go eh, or you know whatever her name is susan you know and there goes there you see my arm and then you cut to another angle and then the arm extends about you know 18 inches or whatever it was and it's somebody <laughs> probably blowing on a pipe or something like <laughs> that it, it, it's it, it, i'll just know it was it was obviously an unpaid intern but but anyway and so then they do that and then you cut and they did put some cgi in and there's some wonderful um i remember i think in the film there's a wonderful shot of us driving away after just getting married where Kind of like this sort of stick arm comes up through the limousine, <laughs> you know. But you know, nobody saw that because two things have happened: nobody's seen the movie, and nobody's ever seen the whole thing. So we're okay. But um, yeah, you know, effects used to be fun. Um, yeah. they were very actor-driven, and the more you know, the more you can do. And Tom Cruise says he likes to do his own stunts. And, you know, yeah, he said, well, what's the stunt? Actually, he's going to go up a ramp and then, like, fly off of his um, motorcycle and a parachute. Yeah, he's going to have to do that, you know. Um, <laughs> there's no way around that. Um, and that's kind of great to see. And even, the, even the, the wonderful Maverick film, I mean, you know, that was Jets, guys, whether how much of it was shot up in the air or not. I mean, you know, that was pretty darn good. A lot of it had to be real. 
Um, and so that used to be one of the draws, I think, of wanting to work in film. Either build those uh, those scenes as a, as a technician, as an art director, or you know, be the last one, like uh, like with with actors, like I was in Battlestar Galactica, the last one to say, "Hey, I'm flying jets in space." Actually, Alex, you're going to be sitting on a little apple box in front of a green screen, and don't shake your head because we only have one helmet. It's kind of you know, harsh as it kind of like harsh as your mellow, but um, that was it. And you had to work with what was there. And I think mm -hmm. this great presumption <laughs> that uh, uh, it's all going to be added on. It's all going to be either it used to be fixed in post and somebody's actually son, there won't be any post on this movie. You know, it's going to be CGI. I'll take care of it. And, um, you know, it's easy to see the shortcomings when filmmakers rely on CGI taking care of it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean. It's not quite, you know, plastic dinosaurs in 10,000 years BC, but we know a bad, we know bad effects when we see it, you know? Right. So it, it, uh, it was, it was a throwback. I mean, Fantastic Four was right. When did we make it? 93. It was right at that cusp. I think mm -hmm. the, the Roger didn't, didn't really care. Didn't want to be the first kind of Marvel movie of the, of the modern era, but Jim Cameron had been trying to do, uh, Spider-Man for a couple of years. It just they just had to throw in the towel because they just didn't have the bandwidth, computer-wise, to do it. So when Fantastic Four came along, I guess they just went with what they had because they sort of had to do it. There was a timing issue, and I think you'd, they fell back and like we still fall back when I call them on the on the sort of inherent, what's the word, creakiness or the inherent dysfunction in the in the four, um, is kind of. Uh, you used the term earlier in an analog way. It's um, it's supposed to be campy in a way. It's a, you know, it's uh, it can be fun though. You can you can excuse that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if campy is the right word. I mean, uh, uh, what's the one? Um, the uh, the man eating plant. Um, Rocky Horror is campy, mm -hmm. but Fantastic Four is kind of shrouded in a in an innocence that allows for a certain naivete mm -hmm. in the in the in the lead characters which sort of slows things down a bit and it means that it has to be more character driven which might be the problem with fantastic four franchise is that there's too much character for special effects movies you know possible yeah you know i uh i look at at the fantastic four movie honestly a lot like i do the the flash gordon movie yeah, from you know back in the late seventies. Sam Jones. Yeah, with Sam Jones. Yeah. To yeah. me, that was campy, but it was fun campy. It was fun. Yeah, campy. but I mean, they they the actually have a guy. Yeah, don't they have like a some villain who's like got a fur hat on or some horns or some? Oh yeah. yeah, 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 right, yeah. And we there's had, all these. We had, had Doctor Doom. Yeah. Yeah, and there's all these practical effects in that as well because they didn't have that option back then either. Yeah. And that yeah. to me, it, it just speaks to the age of the film more than than whether the film is good or bad or not. But I think it also makes for an enjoyable watch, and, and it's kind of fun sometimes to watch those practical effects be used yeah. in the right way. Well, you know, when I was finishing up my contract at Universal, God, I was, what, 21 years old, so this would have been like 1980, 81. There were two shows. It started out as one show. It started out as Battlestar Galactica, Lauren Green, sort of um, wagon train in space, you know. And it was Star Wars for TV. ABC thought it was going to be a big mm -hmm. hit. And, you know, it didn't have the charm of a Star Trek. And it didn't have the 
element of surprise of of uh, Star Wars. But what it did have was a pretty earnest kind of Western in space, but it just didn't take with the audience. It was kind of a little, little heavy. And Lou Wasserman, who ran Universal at the time, was reminded that they owned Buck Rogers, the, uh, the rights to Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah. And what they did was basically turned a lot of the sets upside down, repainted them, and in the same soundstage started making <laughs> Buck Rogers in the 25th century, you see? Nice. And they infused it with, it was Gil Gerard instead of Richard Hatch. And, mm -hmm. you know, it had that sort of light comedic or even light, light drama flair to it. And then they had Tom Christopher as the Birdman, and my father um, actually played Dr. Goodfellow for a while, and he was known for, you know, being anything except serious he was rather irreverent and was quite funny and that show i think when you even when you see it now like you say it's obviously it's dated for its production value but it's but the show works yep. it kind of like was the right temperature was was the right um it had the right sort of buoyancy if that's mm -hmm. if that's a word that can that means anything um outside the lab Whereas Galactica ended up being a disappointment, except for Dirk Benedict, of course, who became a star, sure. went on to the A-team. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think especially in, in, in the world that you know so well, and I've delved in a bit as an actor, you've got to be respectful of this sort of sci-fi audience. Um, they want to enjoy it, and they want to, uh, they want to tell you what it is. And I think the, 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 the trouble with the original Galactica was that it was sort of forced upon everybody. It had... It was, it, it was just too dramatic and it wasn't, and it wasn't, yeah. Whereas it's funny when those lighter things sometimes work. Absolutely. This made, I mean, you know, it was made Pretty Woman, uh, the hit. I mean, you know, you could have, Pretty Woman uh, could have been such a heavy story that it never would have gotten over the element of glamour, glamour, glamorizing prostitution, but they, they, they lightened it mm -hmm. and cast it correctly. And so, you know, exactly. And the the audience, if the audience is entertained, then you can you can forgive a lot of story elements. It's not so much about issues, or or uh, it's more about just the feeling people have when they when they uh, experience it. You know. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Right, so well, Alex. great. Good talking to you. Thanks. Take care. <laughs> <See ya. laughs> uh, Alex, I start off a lot of our interviews uh, typically trying to find out about the backstory of our the origin story uh, of our guest. Now, since I was too excited about ask about Indiana Jones first, uh, this question had to wait. So if you wouldn't mind humoring me uh, a little bit, can you tell us what influenced you to get to the point where you thought that a, a, a career in the performing arts is what you wanted to do? Well, I was a smart young fella, precocious, rather annoying. And I, not, I don't think that I've completely lost the last two. I'm rather precocious. I don't know how smart I am anymore, but I accelerated through school rather quickly. And then the Palm Springs Unified School District of the late 60s and mid 70s, it wasn't necessarily difficult to do that. However, I found myself at age 16, graduating high school, kind of at the same time, my mom wishes she was going to be leaving town too. So the home life wasn't, wasn't going to be worth sticking around. They wanted me out. And we knew some people in, I knew some people in Washington because um, I'd been there before. My dad had done a play there. And I just, I liked that. I suppose it was very similar. But so I, I got into Georgetown at age 16 and froze my tush off. I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I left there 
So I was kind of rudderless when I was 17, 18 years old and came back to the desert where I grew up working in restaurants. And, um, you know, before long, um, I found myself auditioning for Battlestar Galactica mm -hmm. at Universal. So, you know, if it hadn't have been sort of crapping out at college and, you know, I, I ended up being in the right place at the right time. And uh, I just was very lucky that that uh, they were, again, like we said, like I said before, they were expecting Battlestar Galactica to, to to certainly, you know, pay pay its own way. And they were looking to hire a few boys, put them under contract to fly jets in space. And I was one of them. And <laughs> um, and uh, it, it uh, you know, I felt that I, I had the skill set for it. Um, I grew up mm -hmm. in the theater. I grew up in the theater in the sense that my dad was a British actor, and that uh, the theater is completely different. Uh, as I as I told about the audition for um, mm -hmm. Young Henry Jones, you know, film and TV acting is about compartmentalizing moments, you know, and in in my book or in retelling of them, they they they're moments, they're peak moments. Stage acting is more about sort of having a career, not not pissing people off, understanding that theatrical institutions are quite often run by demagogues, even before Kevin Spacey rewrote the definition of that. And you end up having to work with a whole group of people. Quite often one feels are, you know, dumber than anyway. Mm -hmm. In movies, in movies, it's different. It's it's filling moments and i just liked that in sort of a chemistry way so um i'd been around uh, the industry enough and i'd been on some tv sets and uh, you know my dad was a, a very very well known in england and he was a good character actor a lot older than me and uh, he, once he was hired to do the pilot of of galactica along with ray milan who was a big big film star in the 50s and 60s uh, they were the heads of the council of 12 they were, it was really a council of two and then 10 other guys named Joe. It was, you know, it was fine. And then I went into to uh, be his sort of assistant. They call it, you know, they, my man isn't, uh, Mike Lally, my man is not available because he's working for Peter Falk. Could you come down? And like I said, I was like you know, selling real estate up in the desert. And uh, I said, yeah, sure. And um, the agent who handled my dad, who was, was was sending me out things, he said, "Hey, uh, Universal Casting wants to see you." And guys, I gave a good audition. I mean, you know, I wanted it. I wanted it more than 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 I thought because consciously, when you want something, and you then sense, you know, there's nothing worse like the Eminem song: "Take advantage of this moment. It's never going to come again." Oh, don't! That's <laughs> right? going to scare the hell out of me. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> you know. It might not even be here now, you know, just it's 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 really weird. I, I ended up kind of wanting it, but but uh, not so much consciously. It just I felt I'd found a home in a funny sort of way and it worked. And I, I just never found anything better to do. I've, I've done lots of other little things to keep the fires burning, but um, it's just led. It was an entry into a, into a wonderful way to live and occasionally make a living and it just so happened that i sort of grew up at the time that american films from the 70s they were into the auteur and the 
wonderful films and the French Connection and the Godfather and all of these things mm-hmm. would come out of nowhere. And then the advent of indie films with Sundance and then offshoots. And now we are in a, in a, in a, a 400 uh, channel universe and there's nothing to watch. Everybody's saying what's on Netflix and prime video. It's almost come back to four or five studios, right. but, but, but to have been, to have been in several uh, versions of that journey, it's, it's uniquely uh, satisfying and, uh, I'm glad I don't have to do it again. I think it'd be very hard. I was just lucky to be a part of that, of that uh, evolving, that sort of maturation, maturation of, Ameri- like you say, American pop culture. It's not yeah. film. It's not TV. It's not collecting. It's not collectibles. It's pop culture, and you know, that's uh, I'm a, I was, I'm, I'm a part of it, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm thankful for it. Otherwise, I'd be you know still running the. Uh, elevator at the senate office building <laughs> you know yeah. hey how you doing hey i'm you're the first person i voted for yeah i'm still here you can go. you believe it yeah where are you going you know, one of my six houses okay thank you congressman where we don't talk politics the three things you never talk when you're running a show religion politics and the great pumpkin well great now i have to cut all that out <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of journeys uh you wrote a book called In the Volume, and tell us a little bit about your book and what we can expect from it. Look at the cover art. It's beautiful. Yeah. I had a guy who contacted me, and I was thinking of um, sort of making a graphic novel and whatnot, and he sent this, and I go, oh, no, this is the cover of the book. Well, you know, I wrote this book as a, as a chronicle, almost like you would write a TV show in a way. I separated it into five seasons and there's like episodes instead of chapters and mm-hmm. season season one is called Star Wars, Star Wars, because it's, you know, Star Wars is what motivated me and a lot of people to, to, to get into the, into the game, it's sort of a gathering aspect of, of, of my life. And then season two was Patriot Games, which I think is a wonderful film. You talk about Harrison Ford and, Mm-hmm. analog filmmaking you see a film like patriot games i think it was mace newfeld directed and it's a classic and there's no special effects in it except maybe you know a wind and a rainstorm and some some boat tricks at the end it's just a <laughs> wonderful uh, adventure um you know thriller movie and so season two for me is patriot games and that's sort of a quickening after a gathering sort of comes a quickening when things start to find their attachments Season three is another great film uh, for me. It was Heat. Um, you know, Michael Mann is a wonderful filmmaker. I call that my flowering in a way. It's getting a bit gardening. Gathering, quickening, flowering, season three. Season four is The Great Escape, which tell me you didn't see that at a 50 Cent Saturday matinee. I mean, it's just classic. I did not and, see that uh, at a 50 Cent matinee. No, no. Uh, <laughs> And then season five is Last of the Mohicans, and that's my deliverance. And I kind of feel in a way that I, I'm a bit like Chingachgook um, in that uh, I'm part of a, certainly of a tribe or a, of a sect of actors who, because I started young enough and I've had the good fortune to live, you know, 50, no, 45 years as an actor, 44 years as an actor, that... Um, I deserve or I'm qualified to tell tell my story in a way. It's like a history book. It's a, it's a, it's a, a lot of it is a history of the pop culture that I lived through and observed on film sets and TV sets and 
of course, rather like the peaks to the mountain, the peaks and valleys, it's a lot of the in-between, you know, personal as well. But in the volume, which is now out on, what is it, Amazon and Audible, I did the mm-hmm. audiobook as well, because I do a lot of audiobooks, I have an audiobook production company. Um, in the volume came to me when I was doing the, the last and the third and the, the last, hopefully not forever, of, of Stephen's films, uh, Tintin, about, I don't know, 10 years ago now. I learned what that phrase means. And it's a digital reference to being in the shot, you know, as an analog filmmaker says, okay, Alex, a little to the right, a little to the right. Okay, now you're out. What, you want me out of the shot? Yes, please, but we need you for, okay, good. I'm out of the shot. Thank you. Good, I've got it. This time, it's not, this time it's a, it's a, it's a technician or an engineer comes up, Alex, um, you know, you're in the volume and like we need, okay, just, so step out. Yeah, please. Because the volume captures the action. It's, it's digital bandwidth. And they'll have, like, they'll have like 11 or 12 or 15 cameras in a, like a basketball uh, size, uh, basketball court size stage, capturing everything from uh, 360 uh, degrees. And so if you're in the volume, you're pulling energy. And conversely, if you're in the volume, you better be doing something worthwhile. So I just thought it was a great metaphor for, you know, being an actor in this, in this era is um, it's sometimes it seems easy and film, they've made filmmaking easy and more accessible and that's great. Uh, But, you know, you gotta have, you gotta have a reason for being in there because a lot of people, a lot of people want to be in, in, in the volume. For every one person there, there's, you know, five or 10. You just look at the credits on these movies. There's 50 or 100 doing special effects. And they're all contributing mm-hmm. to make you, to making you look better. So, you know, when you're in there, it just, it's a feeling of great responsibility and great joy. And I feel rather like with, with writing this book, I feel that I've earned the um, opportunity and the right to sort of talk about it. And it's a hundred and what 20,000 words and a lot of them are pretty okay (laughs) yeah I was looking at some of your your episode titles uh like a ham and the lynn twins oh ham and the lynn twins I I'm uh oh do you have the book uh yeah Yeah. I recently just got it on audible so I'm great I'm uh I'll I'll be working my way through it here soon oh good you got the audio (laughs) book did you I did, yes. Oh, great, good. There's there's fun music on it. A little a band from a, a German band, I think, is the music. Yeah, yeah. Ham and the Lynn Twins. You like that one? And then there's Big Casino, Little Casino. There's some, yeah. You know, on the lot a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, like yeah. I said, I'm, 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 I was a precocious uh, young fella. <laughs> yeah, and like they say, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, I'm judging it by its episodes, and I'm like, I think I'm going to like this book. So. Um, okay, let me quiz you. Episode 30, Stuff's Getting Better. What movie is that line from? And who says it? It's Kevin Costner in The Postman. Is that, oh, is that from The Postman? Okay. Yeah, Stuff's Getting Better. <laughs> <laughs> the Postman is just, you know, they give me a hard time for being an Ishtar. I mean, you know, Costner right. is the greatest, the greatest actor since Harrison Ford that we've created. Uh, and, and, and they gave him a hard time for Waterworld and the Postman. And you look at him and you just think, <laughs> God, it's, you know, stuff's getting better. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, no, thanks, guys. Yeah, it's you'll like it. I mean, you know, you're in the you're in the content world. You're 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 creating stuff. Hopefully, um, your uh, your audience is smiling when they hear us riff about stuff like this. Um, oh, I think I'm happy. To, I was happy to you know be involved to feel like I helped make some of it, and you guys are help you know keeping it going, and we're all in the same in the same game. You know, but it's up to the audience. It's up to them. They'll tell us whether it was worthwhile or not. Right. All right, Alex, we have uh, one final question for you. Okay. Sure. Sure. And uh, so we end our, our episodes with either a quiz or a silly question. And so today we're going to ask you the silly question. Okay. Well, we just now, had the quiz. Well, we've had the quiz. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> now you've already performed as Dr. Reed Richards from the Marvel Universe. So we're going to switch over towards DC a little bit. If you had to choose, would you choose to be Batman or Robin? And why? I would be Batman because, as you know, I look okay in a blue spandex. I don't know about <laughs> the uh, about the red, red and green, you know. <laughs> do you, the question is, do you have the legs to perform as, as Robin in the classic outfit? So. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm built like a Welsh archer. I'm all torso. So, no. Fair enough. Yeah. I think that's an acceptable answer as to why to be Batman. Come in handy than, at the Battle of Agincourt. Yeah. yeah. Other than the bank account, that's a good answer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your works and where to find your book? Well, IMDB is a great source. Um, my website, uh, Alex Hyde White, with or without the hyphen. The hyphen is the most difficult part in this computer age, but but I'm out there. I've got a nice website. The book is anywhere. The book is uh, Amazon's probably the best. Amazon and Audible. And uh, you know, if if people go to my website and they want an autographed copy, it's easy. It's easy to ask. I'm I'm really happy. It's uh, a lot. There's a lot of uh, celebrity biographies out nowadays, especially the last couple of years. All these actors had to figure out a way to sustain their lifestyle, and so they ended up talking about their peccadillos and about their <laughs> their um their uh their their um what's the word their addictions and their facial reconstruction i don't have any of that i mean and if i do i'm not going to admit it so my story is about sort of everybody else people that i worked with and the funny things and of course it's about my crashes and burns but i mean you know that's what an actor is the cautionary tale is is when someone would always ask me hey i'm gonna move out to hollywood or my son's moving to Hollywood. Do you have any advice? I'd say, yeah, take Fountain. Traffic's better. You know, it's kind of <laughs> that kind of world, you know? And then, of course, the New York actor would say to you, well, you know, I've, I think, I'm thinking of trying Hollywood. He said, well, yeah, why not? He says, well, I'm just not really working here much in New York. And I said, well, then you'll love Hollywood because nobody works. You'll be fine, you know? <laughs> so, right you know, it's a crazy business. And it's it, it you need you need to be a decent cook and a decent driver. And now you know with Grubhub, hell, you can cook them and deliver them and still be an actor and do your audition in the <laughs> at the same time. Anyway, so that's the kind of style that I'm you know that's what I'm writing. I'm writing crap like this. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm writing material like this. So wonderful, uh, you know. There you go. Wonderfully written material such as this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. I'm here till Thursday. Try the veal. There you go. All right. 
Thanks, guys. Go Lions. Subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Alex Hyde-White here today for funny moments you'll be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps us more well than you'll ever be able to know and more importantly than we'll ever be able to know. But make sure you go to Alex's website, check out his book, get assigned a copy of it. I think you'll like that. Now, if you, for whatever reason, you were not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic. He is literally the long arm of the law. Seriously, he can, like, stretch out his arm to wherever he needs to to smack some sense into someone. But he's also a genius, a certifiable genius, so you're really only going to need to send one copy of your complaint. And rest assured that he will not only file it properly, but his long, stretchy arm of justice will reach out and smack some sense into whoever needs it. And knowing this group... I'm going to go ahead and get the cold pack ready. I'm getting a five star on the face. It's about what that's, that's going to happen. We know that. So keep that in mind if you decide to report us. Look, we act like to act like we're big, bad podcasters, but we're really wimps and softies on the inside. So don't hurt us. Well, thanks again, Alex. Johnny, keep that fire going. You might need it. <laughs> All right, Thank boys. you, Alex. This has been a lot of fun. We All really right. appreciate it. Thanks. I do a lot of these. This has been fun. Thanks a lot, guys. Good luck yep. to you. All right. Thank you. Ciao. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF Popcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF Popcast or go to www.fsfpopcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2023 FSF Popcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Popcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.